welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 133. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Coming to you from the winter wasteland that is Toronto at the moment, it is minus 25 degrees outside, like a foot of snow. It is what everyone else not from Canada assumes that Canada is. But we've got a super exciting, huge episode of the Adamantium podcast for you today because we've got singer songwriter, frontman of Our Lady Peace, Rain Maida, right here on the podcast. And this interview was specifically very special for me, not just because Rain Maida is super cool and is the frontman of one of Canada's all-time greatest alt-rock bands, but because Rain Maida was actually the first interview I ever did in the music industry. It was almost nine years ago in like March-April of 2013. Rain Maida was releasing a solo record at the time, and I was writing for a local online magazine who asked me to hop on a phone call with him. And for for someone who is new to uh, to interviewing, that could have gone so wrong. But as you'll be able to tell from this episode, Rain is an excellent interview. He's so easy to talk to. And here we are, nine years later, fifth season of the Adamantium podcast, tenth album coming out by Our Lady Peace. And actually, it was really funny. Back in 2013, when I did the interview with Rain, I was working at an advertising agency at the time. And I had a boss that at the time I was very fond of. She was one of the best bosses I ever had. And she was a big Our Lady Peace fan. And it was her birthday coming up. So I asked Rain if he would record me a, a birthday message that I could send to her. And he did. And we did send it to her. And uh, she was so in shock that she thought it was fake. But just a testament to the type of person that Rain is and just a great memory. So here we are now. And as I mentioned, Our Lady Peace are releasing their 10th studio album. It's called Spiritual Machines 2, which is actually a sequel to an album they released in 2000. So more than 20 years ago. And the interesting thing about that album is it was a bit of a concept album based on a book called The Age of Spiritual Machines by Raymond Kurzweil that had predictions about the future, many of which became correct, which is why Rain felt it was necessary to make a second album featuring more predictions from Ray Kurzweil. But I'm not going to dive into it because Rain's going to tell you all about it in the interview. But I am going to let you know that Spiritual Machines 2 comes out this Friday, January 28th. If you're an Our Lady Peace fan, you're going to love the album. If by some chance you are hearing Our Lady Peace for the very first time, we're going to do the Adamantium Recommend segment where I pick five of my favorite songs by the artist for you to check out before or after the interview or to compare with your own favorites. How do you choose just five Our Lady Peace songs? It's very difficult, but I'm going to give it a go. Here are five of my all-time favorite Our Lady Peace songs. Going back to their very first album, Navid, from 1994, I'm going to pick the song Starseed. Then to their ever-so-important 1997 album, Clumsy, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. I'm going to choose the song Superman's Dead. And then skipping to their 2002 album, Gravity, I'm going to choose the songs Somewhere Out There and the song Innocent. And lastly, from the 2005 album, Healthy and Paranoid Times, I'm going to choose the song Angels Losing Sleep. 
So basically a greatest hits of Our Lady Peace. But a great place to start if you're being introduced to the band. I mean, chances are, if you're listening to this episode, you're already an Our Lady Peace fan, and you've definitely heard all those songs before. I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. If it is your first time listening to the Adamantium podcast, I would absolutely love for you to tune in again someday. You can subscribe to the Adamantium podcast on whichever network you choose to get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's episode and you're feeling generous, you could write us a nice review and give us a five-star rating. The Adamantium Podcast is also on social media. We're on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and we're on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And with all that out of the way, we're going to get into today's episode, which features Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace, right here on episode 133 of The Adamantium Podcast. Thank you again so much for tuning in today. I hope you have yourself a great week, and hopefully we will see you back here again next week for our next episode. Hey, hey. Hey, Rain. How's it going, man? What's up, man? Good. Um, good, good. Are you uh are you in Toronto right now or are you out west? I'm in LA, yeah. You're in LA. Lucky you, man. It's minus 25 here today. <laughs> I know. I saw um a friend of mine actually lives in Miami, but he's from Toronto originally. He's in tech. He was in Toronto for a minute and he said there's like an actual like a warning, like a cold weather warning or something. Monday we had I've lived in Toronto my whole life. Monday we had the most snow in one day that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. yeah, it was, man. I I never growing up, I never got a snow day. And ironic, yeah. ironically, it was like the first day the kids were supposed to go back to school <laughs> and then they got a snow day. And yeah. But nice. Yeah, yeah. Um before we get started, Rain, I actually wanted to give you a little uh tell you that actually the first interview i ever did uh I, right when you were releasing we all get lighter 2013 oh cool it was the first interview i ever did for for anyone <laughs> who was and, it for for yourself or for a no, publication? It was for a online magazine i was writing for at the time got and it. uh that was the first interview they got me to do and now uh yeah and now here we are so <laughs> Love it. What's behind you? Is that like a Joshua tree or what it is, is it? It is. This was one of my COVID projects uh, during the lockdown. And For I sure. actually got a reminder on Instagram. I think I finished it like a year ago. And so uh, it took me, it took me months to do it. <laughs> really? Did looks whole, dope. Looks I good. did the whole thing by hand. Yeah. And there's like a, a where the streets have no name quote down there. So yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love that. That's inspiring. I might cool, just go man. fucking paint a wall here. Yeah. Well, that's what I figured. If you're going to be locked inside, you might as well create some art, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so cool, man. Well, uh, lots of, uh, lots of cool things happening with you these days. Um, so we've got the, you know, uh, spiritual machine two coming out on Friday. And, uh, so tell me, you know, to start, to start things off, you know, of, of the nine albums that, that OLP has put out so far, what, why, why did you feel that, uh, your spiritual machine of all the albums needed a continuation? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's based on, on futures predictions from Ray Kurzweil and his book, you know, inspired by the book, the age of spiritual machines, which came out in 2000. So 20 years, you know, we kind of celebrated the 20th anniversary during COVID 
obviously couldn't do anything to support it. Um, but it got us thinking while we were making a record and we we're just starting to make a record. I was like, you know what? This is really interesting in terms of looking back on, cause Ray speaks on the record, makes a bunch of predictions mm-hmm. based from his book, but just talks about singularity and AI and stuff. Kind of had fun just going back, analyzing it. And, um, you know, he was right. I think 80, 87% of his predictions were like legit on the money. And then 10%, they weren't wrong, but he's such a scientist. He said they were wrong because they were like off, but some of them are off by like a couple of years or something. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the actual prediction. It was a timing. Anyway, so I was like, wow, this guy's a genius. So as we were just starting to like conceive what this next record was going to be, he's like, man, I think it's time to actually do Spiritual Machines 2 and get Ray back in. And literally, as almost like as a selfish means, but I want to know what the next 20 years looks like in his head, right? So basically, that's what he did. He gave us like six new predictions on the future and what, what's going to happen in the next 20 years. And he's back doing the same thing where he's just given us, um, you know, those little interstitial dialogue moments that he recorded for us. Mm-hmm. And, and it's gone further now, you know, where um, I actually fly to Boston next Monday and i'm gonna spend a couple days with ray doing shooting holograms so he's gonna be on tour with us that's gonna be pretty dope yeah so like on stage you're gonna have kind of like the tupac coachella hologram yeah yeah but 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 dialogue you know it's gonna be gonna be more like theater where i'm talking to ray or he's talking to this ai named molly or cassandra there's two a's two ai's that he's created in his book so it's it's just i think it's amazing opportunity to like just dig a little bit digger because some of these predictions for the next 20 years are like ubi like a universal basic income right so everyone in the world and globally is talking about so everyone gets just a standard income so what that does to like the poverty level mm-hmm. is pretty inspiring um things like obviously technology and it being kind of exponential you know i i drive a leaf an electric car i take my bags to the grocery store i'm not i don't know if that's doing anything but ray talks about just technology and like really digging into like climate change and and what that can do more than what we do as humans. So that's inspiring. Um, obviously, AI and singularity and the thoughts of being able to live a lot longer are, are really like right there in front of us again. So just amazing. And and I think it's going to be fun for fans to be at a show and um, see him repeat some of the stuff they already know and have heard on the albums, but actually have dialogue about this stuff. It'll be cool. Very cool, man. Tell me, like, as I think the first... Uh spirit in the book anyways there was something like more than a hundred predictions in the first one um what were some of the most significant predictions that did that ended up being correct on the first book yeah yeah some of the things that were really interesting to me like one of them was was cochlear implants so a friend of mine is um she she's a teacher uh, for deaf children and you know like 20 years ago it was tough, you know, like there, there wasn't a lot of hope. And so over the, over the course of the last two decades, like I'm sure you've seen it on YouTube now, like a young baby's born deaf, but now you're able to get these cochlear implants mm-hmm. and they can hear again. And it's like, it's such a profound moment when you see a child that hasn't heard anything since they were born and doesn't really know what hearing is. And all of a sudden that sense is awakened and they can hear. I've never really, I've, I don't know if I've seen anything as incredible as that, the smile and like, the curiosity of like, what are these new sounds? And you're looking at someone, usually their mother, and now they can hear them. It's, it's pretty, pretty brilliant. And from this, from something like really profound like that to 
you know, he was talking about driverless cars way back then. And it was like, yeah, maybe that's kind of like Jetson stuff, but we'll see. And, you know, all of a sudden we're here. And it doesn't even seem like anything out of this world now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's cool, man. Um, You guys uh, first released this album as an NFT, um, which is something kind of like just starting as a, a way of the future. Tell me how the NFT release worked and and how you think that might work into the music industry in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's the future um 100%. And what it what it is, it's, you know, an NFT is you know, non-fungible token is a is a piece of it, but it's really more about web3. And if you look at web version 1 like the internet, that was basically read only right we we got to read each other's emails and maybe an article and something and then web 2.0 was read and write which was cool um and the problem with that on a creator level it's like yeah we can read and write but we don't own anything we don't own that data i don't know my ip basically so um to you know to the the very small amounts i get paid from from dsps to the fact that i can't talk to those fans that are signed up to someone else's platform and the platform makes all the money mm. um, is it, it, kind of like the barriers there. We have these gatekeepers. So NFTs and web 3.0 is read, uh, write and own. So mm. it's about portability. So if I build a fan base now or a community on, on, on web 3.0, that's portable. That becomes portable. If I want, if you were to start a platform on, Web 3.0, and we partner, and I create this fan base and this community on there of like 50,000 people. If all of a sudden you start misbehaving, that's okay because I can take that community with me. It's portable, portability, composability, interoperability. These are all interesting words that really relate to the fact that it's not a one way street. The, mm-hmm. that, that community can come with me. And I think. Um, the way we distribute music, make money off it, um, and build communities is is what Web 3.0 promises. And it's early for sure. So mm-hmm. releasing an album as an NFT is a small, like it's such a small, like tip of the iceberg example, but we wanted to do it uh, just because I'm leaning heavy into this this space was just to show that, hey, we were able to sell 500 albums directly to our fans without any interference, without any gatekeepers. We have their connection now. They are our friends. They are part of this new community. And I can talk to them whenever. If I want to, tonight, I can send them the original handwritten lyric sheet to stop making stupid people famous. Mm-hmm. Literally tomorrow, tomorrow night at midnight, we're going to send them five demos from the album that we we would never probably put out. We definitely wouldn't put out on, on a DSP, but... We might not ever put them out to anybody, but now we have that relationship. So I can just drop them in their wallet. And so mm. that's that's a pretty amazing thing. And and you can kind of imagine where that goes to. Like I said, that's like such a baseline for what this technology offers, but we're gonna leverage it, you know, uh and and slowly adopt people and it's gonna be amazing. So what do you think by say, you know, the the roll around by the next album two, two, three years from now, what do you think that might be possible by then? Or do you yeah, have- I mean, look, a, perf- a perfect world. I lo- I've always loved the idea of exclusivity. Like I, you know, I read stories about back in the day when um, the only way to hear a song was listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. We're way past that. But what about if the only way to have an OLP record or an album was through, you know, this community by joining this community and you couldn't get it on a DSP 
I don't think that's going to happen in the near future, but there is something really special about building exclusivity around art. You know, that's why the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa. There's only one of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're not trying to do that, but, but I like the idea of definitely communicating directly with my fans and removing any intermediaries. Do you think that the average consumer might push back against something like that? Like I, just to mine, it, it, it makes me think of the whole Napster Metallica conflict. Um, yeah. You know, where where the people the average consumer that wasn't necessarily a Metallica fan pushed back against them saying they're being selfish or whatever, when really they just wanted to own their own music. Um, do you think that that would ever be an issue with 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 a platform like this? Or I I think we're seeing pushback against NFTs in the early days right now, just because it feels like a lot of you know, really wealthy artists for sure, and some musicians mm-hmm. are just getting bags of money. Yeah. And 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 the thing about you know, that's why even the word NFT is weird to me, but we'll use it for now. As long as it has utility and lifetime value, it makes sense. If you're just trying to sell something and then you're walking away and that fan's left to like basically speculate on whether they're going to be able to resell it for more money later on, that relationship is not what I'm about. That, I don't think, And I would say 90% of creators aren't about that. Hmm. It's more about changing those pillars of distribution, monetization, and community, and just taking control of those things. So I think once that starts happening, uh, it'll, it'll kind of like this, the, just the, the mind share of people understanding that, Oh, you know what? I, it's not just Steve Aoki selling a spinning head for $3 million. Right. It's about this, this community and this connection. I also think there's big barriers right now, you know, like crypto is a weird thing for people. I don't know, maybe there's only maybe 10 or 50 million people in North America with crypto wallets. So if you're going on an open sea to buy something, if you don't have a crypto wallet, you're like, oh, you, I can't just buy something with my with my debit card. Mm-hmm. You kind of can, but you kind of can't. You need a wallet. So I think, you know, once these barriers start being lifted, and, and I have a new uh, platform called Drops with two R's that basically is designed to get rid of all that stuff. You know, you can come on Drops. A, you have to kind of be at a show to participate in drop. So you've had to come to an, to someone's show or an event to get on because it's all predicated by presence. So if we know you're there, we know you're a fan, and now you get to you know kind of access this really exclusive stuff, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole deal is you can get on drops no no different than you get on Amazon and okay. buy stuff and re- get rewarded stuff that easily. So I think more the more some of these companies pull back. And and realize that we need a bridge between Web 2.0 and 3.0 right now. You can't ask everybody. People in the arts world definitely get it, and they yeah. kind of, you know, they have they've had crypto and and had MetaMask wallets for the last year, so it's easy for them. But the average music fan, yeah, it's going to take a while. So, like I said, with drops, you don't need any of that stuff, and and that's part of my mission is to help onboard people and get them to understand this without, um, I don't know, without feeling like it's above them or there's any sophistication or learning needed. Yeah. I think, I mean, the beginning of any kind of technology, there's always a, a bridge way that takes a little while for people to come on board, you know, who don't like to be, you know, I remember, you know, my dad didn't want to get iTunes, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there's always, there's always a, a little bit of segue. Um, another interesting thing I found about spiritual machines too, is it's the first record in 20 years that original guitarist Mike Turner is a part of. Um, so tell me a little bit what it was like having Mike back in the mix. 
It was amazing. It was really serendipitous too, because I mean, you know, we're, we still, we still talk. And, um, during COVID, even before we started this record, Mike sent me a song from the original spiritual machine sessions. I guess he, he found some song and he just took some time and it was, it was like not even a rough demo. It was just a seed of an idea, but he finished it and kind of recorded it. And so he sent and it was like, Hey, you know, I'm working on this thing. I thought it'd be fun. I know we're all kind of sitting at home. No one's doing anything. Why don't we just work this song up? So I started, but I, I said, hey, you know what? We're just about to start making Spiritual Machines 2. Um, it might take me a minute to get to this song, but it was, it was you know, the first thing I, I was going to go to Mike anyway, because I, I, I don't think it would have been, or I don't think we can call this Spiritual Machines 2 without having involved, because he was really the guy that brought that book into the studio mm-hmm. uh, and turned me on to Ray Kurzweil and, and this whole, you know, futuristic kind of philosophy. So um, that was a plan anyway, but you know, the way it happened was, was great. And, and Mike was able to kind of, um, make this really, you know, amazing kind of interstitial that we put Ray's probably the best quote from Ray on, on the record. And and so he's involved and look, I don't want to give anything away. No, nothing is in stone at all, but you know, we're talking to Mike, we're doing this hologram. You never know. You might see Mike on the stage as well, which would be oh, pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, was there a, a particular moment when you felt like you had to write Stop Making Stupid People Famous? Yeah, probably about three years ago. I, 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 uh, there's this great street artist in LA called uh, Plastic Jesus, and he, mm. he kind of did it. He has a stencil of, of that phrase, and I saw it on a mailbox, and I just kind of put it in my phone in my notes where I write all my lyrics, and I just kept it, and I was like, this is so interesting to me. We all feel this every day. We're all like, absolutely exhausted by you know just just the the typical like fame horrors that that media is that we get sucked into and i never wanted it to be preachy so it was always about finding like literally the right musical track so it doesn't feel like it's too heavy or pretentious mm-hmm. and then bringing out the right way to twist this to where it just wasn't cliche so it's funny that the title is almost like it's almost like what these celebrities do. It's just clickbait. They just want yeah. they just want awareness. And so the the title really isn't what the song's about, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know what I mean? So yeah, not that I'm anybody clever, but it took something like that. And then the fact that the song's kind of like not dancing, but talking heads dancing, gang of four dancing. Yeah. That I think that gives it a little bit of humility as well. And then having Natty on it does the same thing like having a really strong female that lives what she preaches was was a a big deal as well yeah so how did nadia get involved was uh did you reach out to her or how did that come about yeah so i've been i've been in tech for about probably 15 years now and so one of the first things i built um was a company called record mob which was really a, a, a streaming service like a spotify and apple but just for independent music mm-hmm. and that kind of pivoted a bit into like independent videos kind of i don't know if anyone has um citizen app where you people just if there's a crime scene or a protest that's what we were doing by the end of record mob we were having people just if you're at a you're at a protest or see something happening just streaming on record mob gets seen by people there and it's kind of evidence of life right Mm -hmm. in case shit needs to be seen um anyway so when we had that launch party back in like i don't know 2014 um we had nadia because she just fit the mold in this cultural kind of counterculture that we were building with Record Mob. 
Uh, so she came and DJed it. So got to know her through that and kind of kept in, in touch a bit. And then when we had this song, it was like, oh my God, she'd be perfect to do this. And the fact that Dave Siddick from TV on the radio produced our record, he also had had worked with Nadia. So he's like, oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be dope. So I sent her a text. He sent her a text. Literally like two days later, she went up to a studio and recorded it. Amazing. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about Dave's contribution to the album too. Profound, honestly. Like I, I've wanted to make this record for probably five or six years and we've tried on our own and with some friends and different producers and stuff, but never quite got there. And um, it really takes someone like Dave uh, that everyone really respects and trusts because he's such, uh, he's such an incredible musician incredible human being and just a mad genius producer so uh it was it was wild to work with someone uh at that level and i've we've worked with a, tons of great people uh dave is just on a different planet man and he was able to take this this our lady peace sound not not get rid of it or dilute it but like pick the best parts but also take us into this what he calls future rock and i am like I'm legit. I'm like forever grateful for working with him because I think what we did here is like rates up with, you know, top three records we've ever made. So, um, yeah, it, it's amazing to be here talking about it and, and have made something. And I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting not to, you know, look, we, we do this for ourselves, uh, and to satisfy our own creative needs, but you're all, you know, we're artists, we're insecure, always looking at fans. And, and so the fact that, the 500 people that bought it as an NFT have had it for, you know, whatever, five or six weeks. Um, the feedback has been phenomenal. It's just kind of, you know, it, it, it definitely um, makes sense of whatever we feel because they feel the same way. They're just like, wow, I, this is an incredible album. Didn't know you guys had it in you kind of thing, which is kind of, it's fun to hear. Very validating. I, um, I mean, put it along the same line. I listened to it last night and I enjoyed it. A lot as well i plan to one of those albums that i plan to listen and it kind of one of those albums too you need to listen to kind of front to finish um and i plan to listen to it a couple more times but yeah i got sent an early copy yesterday and oh, I, cool. I really enjoyed it um one of my personal favorite songs on it was the song holes and one interesting that that came in the press release to me was it was described as a sister song to superman's dead um and so I wanted, I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that statement a bit on, on what the connection there is. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, there's a, there's a few different like connection points there. One, the way it was written. So I wanted like Superman's dead was written as like a riff, like not, not so much chords, but like a, uh, a circular riff. Right. And so is holes. And, and it literally was written the same way on it. I just had an acoustic guitar and wrote, wrote this descending, you know, kind of guitar riff uh, on the acoustic. I, there's only a little bit of acoustic ended up on holes at the end of the day. But so having this circular riff that just goes around and around almost for the whole song is absolutely the, the, the closest thing to Superman that I've ever written again. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I think like there's a spiritual quality to it looking forward the same way superman's dead was in terms of you know even the lyric the world's a subway which just means like back then it felt like we were moving so fast and talking about technology and and computers like they are exponential how, how quickly we're going to start moving and um holes is that same thing where it's just like man 
this this world is zipping by. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes back to something so granular and human, you know. So the idea of just like lying naked on the floor, um, there there's there's those same feelings of almost like collapse in a way. And I think mm-hmm. Superman dead, Superman's dead and like Nietzsche and those theories felt the same way in terms of um sometimes man it's overwhelming and it just literally like sucks the life out of you and i feel that a lot these days i felt i felt that making this record in a way um because we put so much pressure on it but holes is is that it's it's a release if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah well and on that note too speaking of of overwhelming and and life being fast-paced this past week was another big week for LP because it was the 25, 25th anniversary of your second album, Clumsy. Yeah. I was, I mean, 1997, I was nine years old and I remember that song being all over much music or that album being all over much music. Tell me what your life was like at that point um, when that album was just blowing up and was it so fast paced? Like, could you take a breath at that, at that time? Yeah, I, I'm. I never consider myself prophetic, but if if yeah, if I could if I could talk to my younger self, what I what I wrote about a lot on that record came true, and then was like amplified when when that record hit because the success it had, it just wasn't able to enjoy a lot of it. To be honest, you know, when I look back on it, it just it was a whirlwind and and we just toured so much down here in the u.s on that record and obviously in canada as well and went over to europe a couple times and had the pressure of like the next record after that to to like weigh on our minds even while we were touring and doing all this stuff i mean we played with so many incredible artists um you know festivals down here and and touring in europe and and festivals over there as well i just wish i could have taken it in a little bit more it's, if there's one regret you know the the world was like this you know literal subway for us unfortunately and i just didn't get enough time to slow down and kind of like really be in those moments yeah you know what though anyone i've ever asked that question to who had an album where they blew up says the exact exact same thing um you know you're just being whipped from one place to the next and it all starts to kind of bleed together is what is what I hear. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it is like, that's the, you know, the vision of like a subway going by, you know, and I grew up in Toronto, so I, I rode the subways a lot. And when they just fly by and all you, you don't really see faces, mm-hmm. you, know, you just see heads. Yeah. That's what, that's what the first five years of our career kind of felt like for me. It was just blurry faces and nothing mm-hmm. like tangible, unfortunately. So that's life, I guess, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I tell you what, I enjoy every moment now. Yeah. Do you remember, like you guys were a part of Woodstock 99. Do you remember anything about that day? Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like, uh, there's a huge juxtaposition for me there because we got in on the night, on the Saturday night, saw Metallica play, saw Rage play. Like it was a little crazy. I mean, just by virtue of those bands. Um, And then we played Sunday afternoon, like after Willie Nelson. It was beautiful. I mean, it was hot as hell, but it was beautiful and sunny crowd was like as far as you could see they were amazing to us it was a really like a really truly incredible experience and then we kind of like like i said we got in the night before and we saw a bunch of artists and obviously saw a bunch of artists before we played and on that day and then we were just like you know what it's getting really kind of like 
you could feel a little bit of tension. We're like, we should just get out of here. And then watched on TV with everything, when everything kind of blew up and the fires and stuff. And mm. I get it. You know, I, I get, I, I saw that documentary. I, I don't know if I would like tag a whole generation of kids as being like angry young white guys. And that's why it happened. I think it was more the the corporate kind of takeover of Woodstock, unfortunately. Like you don't charge for water, at least exorbitant prices for water when you're not allowed to bring water in. Like that was a bad move. The fact that they put it on a a black tarmac instead of a field with grass and trees and some shade and people able to get like some relief, terrible move. So of course, like after four days of that, people are like frazzled. And that's that's kind of why it went off. And then man i love the chili peppers but they had to play fire right because hendrix did at the original woodstock yeah and really that's what kind of set everything off and started the fires and stuff and so just 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 you know all these things coming together but again i wouldn't i wouldn't like dump on a generation of kids mm-hmm. uh and blame them for it yeah do you ever have any do you remember any kind of pinch me moments from over those years where you, where you just thought to yourself like you know i kid from Toronto, like how, how am I even here right now? Kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's a few. I remember, um, we were asked to open for, um, we were in Boston playing a little club. We were just starting on, on our first album called, uh, the middle East and our tour manager comes running in and just said, Hey, we just got a call. We have to pack up. We can't play tonight. We have to drive to I think it was Chicago. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's yeah. Robert Plant heard Starseed in New York in his limo. And wants you guys on the tour, like right away tonight. And I was like, get out of here. So we opened up for, for Page and Plant for a while. And, but Robert Plant, when I first met him, he came up to me and he was just like, Hey, just want to tell you, I I've listened to the whole album of the mead. I think the music is incredible. And he goes, when you have a moment, I'd love to sit and talk about the lyrics. And I was like, this has got to be a joke. Like, yeah. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. But yeah. he was like, kind of taught me lesson man i was like if this guy can be that humble and that kind it's like i don't know where we go or where we end up but man i don't have any right ever to be a dick because this guy was just just a gentleman and like it just changed it really changed my outlook of like what was coming to be honest Mm -hmm. you know it's really funny i live i asked a very similar question to the the last episode i did was with ian DeSaw from billy talent and his pinch me moment was some time he got to spend with Jimmy Page and yeah. said the exact same thing. So that's uh, very interesting that you had a very similar answer. Yeah. Um, you last time we spoke, so we did that interview, I think it was 2013. And one thing you had said to me then was that you were working with this little badass band called The Beaches. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and now anyone who listens to Edge 102 like the beaches have blown up here in Toronto and they're killing it. And, uh, so I was curious if, if you're still in contact with them, or are you still working with them at all? Or I haven't worked with them for a while or talked to them, but, uh, you know, watching from afar for sure. And, you know, I, they always had something like, even when, when, um, when we first started working together, they were, they're really young and really raw, mm-hmm. but you know, you can always tell when there's, there's something special there. And yeah. Jordan, the singer always had something that I really just reacted to on a vocal level. Lyrically. She's just, she just got this, this really unique kind of edge. So I, it was always a matter of time, I think for them. So it's great to see them doing well. 
That is well, Rain, I really appreciate you doing this both times. You know, um, you make, you make the interview process very easy. So (laughs) I appreciate that, man. It's good to see you. Yeah. You too, man. And uh, we've had, we've had Chantel on the podcast as well. So hopefully next time we can maybe get you both on. Yeah. We're, we're just starting to work on new music together. So, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. And hopefully at the time, maybe it'll be safe that we can, can all do it in in a room together. (laughs) It's gotta happen soon, man. This has been a, this has been a long haul for everyone. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. Rain. All the best of spiritual machines too. And, uh, we'll hope to see you on the road again. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks rain. Appreciate it, man. That was great. Yeah. You too, man. Thank you. Have a good day. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.